Welcome to the Greater Philly Church Podcast, where you'll learn to connect to Jesus and others through great teaching, inspirational stories, and relevant content. I'm Matt Manny, the pastor of Greater Philly Church, and my goal is to help you understand yourself, your relationships, and life in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening. Jumping into a brand new series entitled The Accidental Pharisee. In our day and age, the term Pharisee is kind of right there with the term Doubting Thomas or David and Goliath. If you would talk to somebody on the street who may or may not be churched and and say the word Pharisee to them, what would the first thing do you think that would come to their mind or to your mind? Anybody? A Pharisee is a, a hypocrite. Now, what's amazing is this. Over 2,000 years ago, being called a Pharisee was actually a really good thing. What we're going to look at this morning is this. This message is really for us, for Greater Philly. Sometimes the messages that I, I preach, the series we go through, is just kind of for anybody. And so we, we love, I love broadcasting it on Facebook and sharing these messages, but it's really for us, especially if you grew up in church, if you're a churchgoer. And what's amazing is this. We're really going to look at the, the heart of, of this series is when we have really good intentions and we mean really well, but somewhere in the midst of, of the translation of all that, the way it comes out on the other end, it's totally not what we intended for it to be. As you look there in your notes, can you imagine if somebody said the following about you? If you had to get a job and you gave a, a reference to your future boss and said, here, call this person, and the boss called up this person, and they said, tell me about you. And they said, they have integrity. I can trust them. They have an incredible conviction. They will not move. They have incredible competency and confidence. They know their stuff. They're excellent in everything they do. Could you say, like, I got the job. I got the job. I mean, that's fantastic. I got the job. Now, can you imagine if somebody said, well, I'm glad you called because here's the deal. They're hypocritical. They are incompetent. They are prideful. They are superficial. They are judgmental. You'd say, okay, forget the job. I'm going to go kill them, right? I'm going to go strangle my friend. Now, what's amazing is this. There's a group of religious people back in Jesus' day. Their view of themselves was this. We have integrity. We have conviction. We have confidence. We have self-control and excellence. And Jesus' view of these same people was this. Hypocritical, judgmental, incompetent, prideful, and superficial. What's the deal? As you look in your notes there, we find this. We're going to go over this next five weeks talking about accidental beliefs and sometimes things that creep up in churches that actually push people away and even more importantly, push, pushes God away because in our pursuit to please God, in our pursuit to do right, we actually end up doing wrong. So this first accidental belief we're going to look at in this series is this, the belief that being right is doing right. It's this focus on behavior, on rules, on regulations. As you look there in your notes, we find this. How do these things get, get mixed up? And so we're going to look over these next five weeks. We'll kind of give you a, a heads up on this. This first week, we're going to look at this. How does integrity become hypocrisy? 
How does a sense of I'm going to do right and be honest, integrity, and hold to the rules and hold to the law, how does that become hypocrisy? The next week we're going to look at this. How does conviction turn into being judgmental? And it's so crazy. And I hope you see these juxtaposition of these two ideas and say, there's no intention on the front end. Conviction is such a good thing. We say, hold to your convictions. But at some point in our lives, that conviction can turn into a judgmental view of other people. And we want to hold our convictions, but steer clear of being judgmental. The third week, we're going to look at this. Confidence turns into incompetence. I know my stuff. Jesus actually says to the Pharisees, he says, you are blind leaders leading blind people. Can you imagine somebody saying that to you? What an insult that would be. Week, week four, we're going to look at this. Self-control turns into pride. It's this, well, I don't do that. You know, the hobnob and kind of the stuck up. I would never. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and they, they say, did you hear what so-and-so did? Mm-hmm. Right? And they say, well, what do you think about that? Well, I would never, ever do that. What's so funny about this, I, years ago, sitting with a pastor uh, in uh, upstate Pennsylvania, that pastor says to me, he sits me down in his office, I was just visiting there for the weekend, and he says, oh, you're going to go and be a pastor, mm-hmm, and you're going to lead people and lead a church, mm-hmm, and he says, the very first thing I want you to understand is this, do not stand for gossip in your church, and I said, okay, if you allow gossip in your church, it's going to ruin your church, okay, pastor. And then he says, there was a lady in my church and she was gossiping like crazy. So I marched that lady and her husband into my office and I said, ma'am, you said this and this. And she said, mm-hmm. And he said, I'm not going to stand for that. Mm-hmm. And he said, so do you understand what I'm talking about, Matt? And I said, I got it. No gossip. And then he says to me, hey, I heard about. And I'm going, wait, wait a minute. I think we just stepped over a line somewhere. And how is it that these things apply to other people, but that they don't apply to me? Well, look then, week five, we'll wrap it all up. Excellence, it's a fantastic thing. You'll look for and find books on excellence in your workplace, excellence in your marriage, excellence in your personal life, of looking good and being good and being top-notch. But at some point, that excellence can turn into being superficial, to a superficiality where everything looks fantastic on the surface, but deep down inside, there's a rottenness. Jesus says to the Pharisees, and we'll talk about that on week five. He says, you look so good on the outside. You are like a whitewashed tomb. It's like going to a cemetery, and you see the sepulchers, and you see the gravestones, and you walk through there, and you see all these pristine flower beds. But underneath all that, you know what it is? Decaying. It's death. I did a funeral one time, and... Instead of putting the individual in the ground, they put them into one of those sepulchers. They slid the, the, uh, the casket into this sepulcher. And so as they're doing all this stuff, we're standing off to the side, and we're watching. And they put the casket on this plastic tray, the sliding tray that would come in and out. And then they wrapped, plastic wrap, like really thick, like we're preparing for the zombie apocalypse, you know, thick plastic. Wrap this around the casket. And I said to somebody, what's that for? And they said, well, just take a whiff. Can't you smell that? And it was a really hot summer day. And I said, yeah, it kind of smells a little different. And he said, well, they're starting to wrap caskets now in this thick plastic so it can contain all the smells and the gases and all those things from decaying bodies. Jesus talks about 
the Pharisees being like dead, decaying bodies. And I know for us, in my heart, I don't want to be that way. And I don't think for any of us in here we'd say, boy, that's what I want to be in life. And most of all, I wouldn't want that to be our church because not only does it push people away, but it pushes our kids away. It pushes our family members away. And most importantly, as I said before, it pushes God away. So how can we be careful that our integrity does not become hypocrisy? As you look there in your notes, where does all this begin? Where does it start? What is the seed that causes these things to happen? It comes from this one thing. We'll go ahead and look uh, on the screen here. People start off with a desire to do what? Please God. It's a really, really good thing. Pleasing and honoring God is a really good thing, but it can become a really bad thing when it gets out of control. And so we're going to talk about through this series how to please God without losing the heart for God, without losing sight of what we're doing as Christians, as a church. As you look in your notes there, to understand the Pharisees, we have to do a little bit of history. So if you like history, you're going to enjoy this. If you don't, you can, you can doodle. Or look at the brand new calendar for the rest of this year. So there's plenty of things to draw on. As you look there in your notes, there's three different groups we're going to talk about this morning. Scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. Now we're going to dial in on the Pharisees. We're going to pick on them the most. But the scribes, if you look here for a moment, we're going to start with the scribes, work down through their list. The Pharisees work down through their list, and then the Sadducees. The scribes were people that were mentioned in Jesus' day many times. They were also uh, called throughout the New Testament lawyers. Now, these people, they were the literates of their day. They're very educated individuals. They knew how to read and write. And in a society that wasn't across the board very literate, these people actually were in high demand because if you had to have a contract between yourself and a business partner, if you wanted to get married, you had to have a contract. If you wanted to get divorced, you had to have a contract. If you wanted to do, uh, uh, do life and do things in the temple and worship, you had to have things and be able to have contracts and have ri uh, written uh, laws for people. And so these scribes, they would write up these laws and they would copy the scriptures and so if they were going to start up a new synagogue, a new church, if you will, the synagogues are places where they would read the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and they would discuss them and talk about them. And the Jews, they didn't just kind of sit by and listen. They would have scripture read, and then they would debate what they had just heard. And so the job for these scribes was to make copies so people could go ahead and have these copies of scriptures in their synagogues. For a scribe, the upward mobility for their life, the sky was the limit. Because they could read and write, they could make money. And the more money they made, they could actually buy themselves into position of authority and power in their Jewish communities. And so scribes were, were really nitpicky because they spent day in and day out, hours on end, copying down these laws. So when people had d division or had questions about I don't like what this person did to me. They stole from me, or I want to get divorced. I want to do this, this get, get clear on this situation. They would go to the scribes, and they would say, this is what you're supposed to do according to Moses' law. We'll talk a little bit more about Moses' law here in a minute. These individuals, they earned their position by book learning. They were your college and university students, who gra graduates. They had degrees. These people were also, to some degree, there's a group of them called the Essenes, who were monks, and they actually hide away in caves, and they would put, put, uh, put uh, uh, 
themselves in areas where they'd isolate from the rest of society. They wouldn't get married. Some of them wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't have slaves. They wouldn't take up arms and fight. And so they are very, very strict for some of these scribes and how they live their lives. Their standard was knowing all about the law. How did they do this? They copied the law. So day in and day out, they'd copy the law. Now, for these people, they held to, we don't know, but they held to an unnamed number of laws from the Old Testament. Now, what's interesting is this. If you look there in your notes for just a minute, the law that we're talking about are the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, those last three specifically contain 613 laws that God gave to Moses. Moses wrote these down. And so as the Jewish people started their society and their, their towns and their families and their culture was set up and based on these 613 laws. Those 613 laws, the scribes copied over and over again. They studied them so that they can go ahead and tell the people what was right and what was wrong. Now, if you look back for a moment, the Pharisees, the, the name Pharisee, actually means to be separated. These guys were a cut above. They were better than everybody else. At one point in time, there were about 6,000 Pharisees running throughout the land during Jesus' day. So these people, they loved to be able to have a position because they liked to make laws. As you look there in your notes, they made laws. Now, they didn't make a lot of money, but they had a lot of power and sway over people. They earned their position by behavior. So what these guys did was this. They'd study the law, and then they'd look really good because they'd follow the law to a T. Now, some of the laws, God said, I want you to go ahead and write my words and put them on your forehead. I want you to write my words and put them and have them on your wrist. I want you to write my word and put it on the doorpost of your house. And so those things, even today, if you'll see some very, uh, what we would call um, uh, very uh, committed Jews, they have these little boxes that would have little tiny, tiny scrolls that would have scripture written on them. And inside those boxes, they put those scrolls and they would take a piece of leather and tie it around their head. It was like a really Jewish looking version of like Rambo maybe, you know, like really super duper headband. And they do the same thing with their wrists. They tie these leather pieces and these boxes around their wrists. They would put uh, little scrolls in their doors so when they come home, they would touch the scroll or touch the scripture, and they would kiss or pray uh, to be able to honor God's word. So these people were so dedicated to their behavior, but here's the catch. They would police people. So if things were going down in their little town, the Pharisees would get involved. If somebody saw something go down and they'd say, oh, we need to go tell sister so-and-so about what's going on. Well, I'm not going to tell her. No, you tell her. Let's go tell the Pharisees about, have Pharisee so-and-so, go ahead. And the Pharisees loved to confront people. They'd walk up, knock on the door, hey, I hear that you're breaking the laws. So they would get people in trouble. They would police people. These are kind of, and this is, I hate to say this, they were kind of pastors a little bit. Can I say that? Which I really feel bad saying because sometimes pastors do this. That we like to police people. And we like to tell people how to live and what to do. And we like to do those things sometimes. And I'm, uh, I'm uh, 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 guilty of it as well. For them, their standards, as you look there in your notes, it's all about doing. It's not just knowing the law, but it's doing the law. Now, here's the kicker. There are 613 laws of Moses. Well, as times change and new situations come up, 
People would come to the scribes and they'd say, well, what do I do? Where is this in the Bible? What should I do? Is this in the law? And the scribes would say, well, no, it's not. Why don't you go talk to the Pharisees? And so they would go ask the Pharisee and say, listen, my kid wants to get on Facebook. So what do I do? Because Moses didn't talk about Facebook. And so they'd say, well, in my humble opinion, the way I see it, the way I interpret the scriptures is this. If you can imagine with me for a moment, in the center of, there's a big circle. And the center of that circle are the Ten Commandments. And God says, you need to obey these words. Do not detract from these words. Do not add to these words. These are the 613 laws I want you to follow. Well, the Pharisees, they're, they're like overachievers. And so what they would do is they would put a hedge around the law of God, around the 613 laws. And they would say, well, instead of if they say you need to, to go to the temple once a week, we say we need to go to the temple twice a week. And then some Pharisees came along and said, no, three times a week. They said, if we are supposed to pray, we're supposed to pray. If God says pray three times a day, we're going to pray five times a day. And if God says pray in your house, in your closet, we're going to go pray out in public in the street. And so they had all these extra rules so they could make sure that they're keeping God's law, but they put this massive hedge around God's word and God's laws. And so they would make up stuff. If you go and type in and Google Pharisaic laws, you're not going to find how many because they'd make up so many laws. Now, there's a couple extra biblical books where they'd actually record their laws, but for the Pharisees, they would hold to what we call oral tradition. So they would just kind of make up stuff on the fly, and they'd say, well, my Pharisee that trained me told me, and so this is what I'm going to tell you because that's what they told. What happens when you play Whisper Down the Alley? Things begin to change. Things begin to get um, miscontrived. Things begin to be misinterpreted. So they made up, as you look there in your notes, they made up an innumerable number of laws that people couldn't keep up. So if you're living your life and you're trying to be a good Jew, you're trying to be a good follower of God, and you're not sure what to do, who do you have to go to to figure your life out? The Pharisees. And you don't want to displease a Pharisee, so what are you going to do? Well, you're going to listen to what they say. Because if your parents find out that you're not following what the Pharisees say, then you're going to get in trouble. And if your friends find out you're not listening to the Pharisees, well, they might not come and buy your product in the marketplace. And if people find out that you're not following the laws of God, even though they're the laws of the Pharisees, they might not allow their kids to play with your kids or their kids to marry your kids when the day comes. Then we have this last group, the Sadducees. These guys were a whole different class all unto themselves. The Pharisees were concerned with the people and behavior. The Sadducees, their name actually means to be right, to be righteous. The name Sadducee actually comes from one of the high priests that lived and worked during King Solomon's day. His name was Zadok. And so the Greek transliteration of Zadok would be Sadok. And so you get the term Sadducee. These were aristocrats. They were the upper class. They earned their position by birth. What's amazing about this is the Jewish temple, they had a tax that people could pay. If people couldn't come to the temple and make sacrifices, the Pharisees and the Sadducees made a rule and said, okay, you can pay then. If you can't come, then you can pay. So there's Jews all throughout the Roman Empire. And they would actually collect taxes, temple taxes, and send that money to the temple all throughout the year. 
The Romans actually became so concerned and so upset, they actually had armies march against some of these, some of these treasure cities, some of these tax cities, where Jews would have a place, a headquarters in different locations throughout the Roman Empire, where they would send their taxes there to that city for the temple, and then they would send an entourage, a convoy, because there was so much gold and so much money that was being transported, they would send an armed guard from their tax city to Jerusalem to take the money in. And so the Romans got upset about it, and they actually tried to pass Roman laws against the Jews that they couldn't uh, do the temple tax. That's how incredibly powerful the Sadducees were. So money is pouring into the temple because people want to please God, and they don't want to be on the outs with God, so money is just pouring in. So the Sadducees were extremely, extremely wealthy, wealthy individuals. They were kind of like politicians or the mafia, if you will. They would extort people. And so for them, their standard was paying tribute to the law, paying taxes to the temple. What's interesting, though, about these people, the Old Testament doesn't talk much about resurrection. The Old Testament doesn't talk much about angels and demons. Now, there's references here and there. They didn't believe in spirituality. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees did because that's how they interpreted things. They filled in the blanks. The Sadducees wouldn't. And so they fought vehemently over these issues. They, hold, they held only to the law to 613 laws. Now, now that we've got all that groundwork laid for us, keeping those things in mind, we're going to look specifically at the Pharisees. As you see here in your notes, the Pharisees put a hedge around the 613 laws of God to keep themselves from coming anywhere near breaking the law. But here's the irony. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, here's what, here's what God says. Don't add unto the word which I've commanded you, and don't take away from the word which I've commanded you, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. So the Pharisees come in and they say, well, God didn't say anything about this. So here's what we're going to say about this. And so they actually broke God's law by trying to add to it. So that brings us to this point. How do we avoid being a hypocrite? How do we allow integrity to follow God's word and God's ways to come through our lives? As you look there in your notes, we'll find this. We're going to dive into Matthew chapter 12. You can look there in your notes or you can open up in your Bibles and find there Matthew chapter 12. Jesus has an encounter with the Pharisees and they just beat him up. And what we're going to find is this. As Matthew records these words of Jesus engaging the Pharisees, and they get pretty, pretty upset about some things. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 to 15. And what we find there is this. It says, at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath, which is the sixth day of the week, or the seventh day of the week. It's the day of worship for them. And on this seventh day of the week, he and his disciples were going through a field of corn or possibly of wheat. And so his disciples, they were hungry, and so they, they began to pop open the, the grains of wheat and the kernels, and they would pop them in their mouth and begin to eat some of the grain there that was in the field. The Pharisees, I don't know what they were doing. I don't know if they were, they were sneaking around and spying. You ever had a coworker or a friend, like a neighbor? They like open up the blinds, and they're looking at you, getting all up in your business. We had that this last week. We had a, a little park, parking wars on Church Street. So we had to move a vehicle, and some neighbors got involved. We just were like, hey, we're new in the neighborhood. We'll just deal. But if any of you have ever had those parking issues, you know, especially street parking. 
And so we moved our vehicle, and you don't have to move your vehicle. It's public parking. Don't, you know. So we, we just dealt with it. What we find here is the Pharisees were sneaking along, and they saw it. And so they approached Jesus and said, Jesus, look at your disciples. They do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath. They had made a rule that you couldn't gather and work in the fields on the Sabbath day. And so in their mind, what they're seeing is there's people who are in a field of grain, and they're picking grains and corn, and they're eating those things. And so in their mind, well, they're working then, so they're wrong. And so Jesus responds with this. The question is, if you're hungry, can you eat? The Pharisees say, no, not if it's on the Sabbath day. Jesus says, well, yes, you can. And so he gives this example. He gives two examples for us. He says unto them, haven't you read about the story of David in the Old Testament when he was on the run being chased by Saul, that he was hungry and his band of merry men, kind of like Robin Hood, his band of merry men, his misfits were with him and they happened to come upon the tabernacle back in that day. And in the tabernacle, there's special bread that was made every single day. That was to be placed before God. It was symbolic of honoring God. And they were so hungry. They were so starving. They asked the priest who was running the tabernacle at that time, and they said, listen, we're really hungry. We ran out of food. Can we have some of this bread, the show bread? And so what did the priest do? The priest said, sure. He obliged them. Jesus goes on then to say in verse 5, the second example is this of priests. He says, or have you not read in the law how that the Sabbath days the priests work in the temple and that they don't profane the Sabbath and they're, and they're blameless? He says, I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. And what he's talking about there is this, is the priests, what they would have to do is they would go into the tabernacle, it was the worship place, it was the church, if you will, back for the Jews where they would worship before God. And so the priest, there was a, a room or a portion of the tabernacle, this giant tent, where they'd have to light these candles. And so they'd light the candles so they could see. They would do different things there inside the tabernacle and clean things up and put things in place. They would also put out the showbread. And God had made for allowance, if they were hungry while they were taking care of their priestly duties inside the tabernacle, that they could eat some of the showbread and they weren't guilty before God. Jesus goes on then to say this. He says, but I say unto you that there's one here that's greater. As you look at, if you look in verse 7, it says this, but if you had known what this means, and he gives a quote from Isaiah, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He says, if you would have known what that means, if you would have, and here's the kicker, Jesus is saying, hey guys, if you would have interpreted this understanding, and they love to interpret things, if you would have interpreted this correctly, you would have not condemned my disciples. And he says this, even the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What's interesting is this, he says, the rules are there to serve us, to benefit us. We don't serve the rules. And so what's interesting is Jesus saying is, I'm here, I'm the one. I was with God when God made these rules and gave these rules to Moses. And so I'm here, so it's okay. It's like, it's like when your kids go crazy and say, listen, I'm going to step out of this room for a little bit, and these are the rules, this is who's in charge, you know, sometimes that happens, and so then I'll come back, and then everybody's yelling at each other, you're not the boss of me, you're not in charge, and dad, they said this, and they said that, and I said, listen, it's fine, but mom said, don't worry about it, you have a father too, you know, sometimes, where's mom, what do you need, where's mom, like, I, I was a part of this whole thing too, you know, like, 
I've got a, I've got a degree. I, like, I know I'm, I'm a pastor, but I know how to do some stuff. And so they said, oh, no, where's mom? I'm like, listen, I'm right here. Talk to me. And that's what Jesus is saying to these guys. You're missing the point. Jesus goes from there to the synagogue. So he's on his way to church. You ever have life bust up when you're on your way to church? That's what happened to Jesus. In verse 9, the question is, if you're hurt, can you be healed? And Jesus says, yes. The Pharisees say, not if it's on the Sabbath. In verse 9, it says, and when he departed thence from the field, he went to the synagogue. And the synagogue, uh, there and beheld, there's a man which had a hand that was withered. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? So they're constantly trying to catch Jesus up. Imagine this. You go to church, and there's somebody who consistently has a struggle and a problem. And they're just, they're just, they're just trying to please God. And Jesus shows up, and people know that he has a reputation for healing. And so the obvious thing would be is, Jesus, look at this person, so-and-so. They've got an ailment. Would you heal them on this? They're trying to trip them up. Would you heal him on the Sabbath? Because, again, in their mind is you're not supposed to do any work because God said not to work on the Sabbath. And so they ask him this, trying to trip him up. Jesus gives them an example. Again, he gives examples. He doesn't attack right away, but he gives an illustration, a story to prove a point. He says in verse 11, he says unto them, which one of you, if you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on Sabbath day, are you going to go ahead and just let your sheep lay there and come back the next day to find them and to help them? Now, what's interesting is this. Animals, most, all animals, like 99% animals, when they fall over or when, then they're on the ground, they can get back up pretty easily. Sheep are different. If a sheep falls over on its side, those stubby little legs, they don't have the capacity to right themselves back up. They're not very smart. Kind of like some of the people that are in your life. They're not very smart that you get frustrated with. And so Jesus says, are you going to let your sheep that you raised that's actually a commodity for you, a pet of yours possibly? Or are you going to let your sheep lay there in the, in the gutter, in the ditch, and just move on your way? He says, no. The reasonable, sensible thing is to go help your sheep. You're exerting some energy, burning some calories, but that's okay. That's what God's not talking about, staying away from God or, or doing work because you're, you're trying to, trying to uh, provide for yourself. And what's interesting is he goes on then to say this, well, wherefore, these bolded words there in your notes, wherefore, is it lawful to do well on the Sabbath day? He says, can you do right by somebody? Does that supersede in the hierarchy of things? Or if people need help, do you just pass by them until it's the right time? Verse 13, when he said this to the, then he says to the man, stretch forth your hand, and the guy stretches forth his hand, and Jesus heals him and restores whole his hand like as the other. The Pharisees left the synagogue. They got so mad they couldn't stay in church. Man, they got mad. They got upset. And they held a council. They had a little meeting, a little powwow, how they might destroy him. You know that there's something deeper going on inside in somebody's life when they overreact, when their emotional reaction is incomparable to the issue at hand. So Jesus is just having this, hey, we're having this friendly discussion. And these guys, the way they take it, they go out and they go, man, we're going to kill this guy. Wow, that was a leap, right? And so Jesus, we find there, 
When Jesus knew it, in verse 15, he withdrew himself from there, and great multitudes followed him, and what did he do? He just healed them all. He took care of them. Oh, and by the way, it was on the Sabbath. What can happen in our lives sometimes is we get so wrapped up in the details of following Jesus that sometimes we forget why we're following Jesus. We forget what it means to raise our families according to God's ways. And we get so stuck on the details of things, sometimes we miss the point because we're so close. Here's the, here's the, the idea that we take from this. Again, there's that phrase that he says to them, I would rather have mercy than have sacrifice. If you look there in the middle of your notes, it's I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. What's Jesus saying? He says, I prefer a flexible heart to an inflexible ritual. What am I saying as your pastor today? My paraphrase is Jesus wants a tender heart in place of traditional habits. And sometimes when there's needs around us and things taking place, what we can do is instead of saying, hey, I'm struggling, I'm not up for the task, I can't help you, I can't help my friend, or we're having problems or things, you know what we'll do? Between us and the issue, we'll put a policy. Now, this may happen in your workplace, and this is tough. You ever have a situation happen and you go to a, a boss or go to somebody and say, hey, listen, I need some help here. And they say, oh, I would love to, but here's the policy. And there's sometimes that things happen and take place where we say, listen, I need some mercy. And we say, oh. And instead of us saying, listen, I want to hear out what's going on in your life for our kids, they come and say, please, can, I, can, can you help me here? Can you show us some mercy? Nope, this is dad's rules or this is mom's rules. This is how it is. But, you know, whatever the situation might be, sometimes we can err so much on the side of things of rights, rules, and regulations that we miss the heart at hand and what God's trying to do in and around us. What's interesting is this then. There is hypocrisy. And for those of you here today who are, man, I'm a, I'm a, I toe the line, and I'm rules, and rules, rules, rules. And you say, man, I feel like you're beating up on me here today. What about the people, like, if we don't have rules, then there's complete anarchy. And we don't like anarchy and chaos. We got out of the chaos of tribal wars. I don't want tribal wars. I like to play tribal wars on Xbox, but I don't want to live tribal wars, you know? And so on the other side of things, there's people that say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get rid of the rules. Like, let everybody just do their thing and let everybody live. And Jesus says this. There is those two extremes, and we'll talk about what those look like here in a minute. And then Jesus gives us the correct path to follow. As you look there in your notes, because here's the deal. If it's all about rules, but you don't see people, it's hypocrisy because God has called us to love people. If it's all about relationship, 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 it's still hypocrisy because then everybody gets away with whatever they want to do. And we, we have to have some semblance of order because God is a God of order. So how, what's the answer? How do you find the answer? Look here in your notes. Truth without love. Truth minus love is what? It's self-righteousness. That's hypocrisy in its classic form. That's what we know what it is. Truth, when there's no love, when there's rejection, when there's a militancy, when there's this just hard-nosed, and, and for some of us, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, it's just no emotion, this is how it is. If everybody just followed the rules, the world would work so much better. We'd probably die of exhaustion. And so what we find is this, this becomes legalism. 
Legalism is this, doing something to gain favor with God. Doing something to look right before God and before other people. Legalism, it's, it's, like, a, it's, like, a bad, it's like a cuss word in church. Legalistic, legalism. Now here's the deal. This is a timeout for us. We've got a little bit of time here, just a timeout. Our church, Greater Philly, is one in its own. It's, we have our own identity. We have our own DNA. We've got our own thumbprint. And each one of us are part of that DNA. So our church is not going to look like anybody else's church. And our church is going to be very different than other people's churches. But here's the kicker. The way we do church and the culture here, a lot of this, and a lot of what we do, a lot of what I do as a pastor, it's based off of what I understand from the Bible, but then a lot of it's just preference. The way we dress, preferential. The music we sing, it's preferential. The plugins we do for the smells, which we gotta update a little bit, it's preferential. Having a fan up here is preferential. I have a fan because I, I like preach a lot. It gets really sweaty up here. And for some of you in the back row, you have to have, you know, parkas and jackets and stuff on because you got to stay warm. I heard of a pastor one time. He liked to have his dog on the platform with him because he really liked his dog. And a guy came to visit one day, and the pastor would preach. And the more the pastor would get excited, the dog would start barking. And so after the service was done, the pastor stands at the door, and this visitor comes by, and he says, hey, what would you think about the service today? He said, yeah, it's good. He said, what do you think about my dog being on the pulpit? Uh, it was okay. It was kind of distracting a little because I don't like dogs. You know, it was kind of scary for me. But, you know, it, it is what it is. And so the pastor says, listen, if it's you or the dog, you can leave. Because my dog's standing on the platform. And I'm thinking, what? If somebody says, you know what, I have like an inner ear issue and that white noise of the fan that's cooling you off, that really bothers me, I'll turn the fan off. It's okay. I'll sweat and suffer for you. All right? But the idea is this. Different churches have different preferences and different cultures. But when our preferences get to the point where they start shutting down relationships with people, then that's when it gets into a place of self-righteousness. When we depend upon our preferences and say, my preferences make me better than somebody else. That's where it becomes wrong. As you look there, on the flip side then, the other extreme is this, love minus truth. Love without truth is unrighteousness. It sounds hard, because, and this is very countercultural today. Love without truth becomes unrighteousness. Say, so what is unrighteousness? It means things become out of hand, get out of hand. You see there in your notes, there's this word that's relativism. So self-righteousness is legalism, and unrighteousness is relativism. What is relativism? You look there in your notes, it's you do whatever's right for you. Now, this sounds really good. It sounds really, really good. But what if what's right for me kills you? And what if what's right for me harms you? What if what's right for me is not right for you? Now, how do we work through that? How do we have a discussion about that? This is a major, major issue for us today because we all cry, hey, like, let everybody do their thing. But yet there's so much confusion in our society today and even in our churches. There's so much confusion because if we continue to go down this path, what we find is this. We don't have time to look here, but you can look up Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, and a really good version of the Bible to, to read it from is the message 
Because it's a paraphrase of this passage, but man, oh man, Paul, when he writes these words, he doesn't pull any punches. What he says is this. People who believe they're living in love, at some point, when that love becomes self-focused, it goes from love to lust. And lust, when it's unbridled, it becomes an uncontrolled weakness. And at some point, we step over a line and God says, listen, I, will, I allow things, and you have a free will, and you can do whatever you want to, but at some point, you, you cross over a line, and when you begin to, to spit in the face of God and to take the things of God and to stomp on them and to destroy them and how God created things, when we begin to ruin the picture that God's created for us, God says, listen, I will not step in, and he uses a word that Paul uses a word that God gives people over to their ways called reprobate. He says, he's just going to let you go ahead. He's going to take the governor off the car, no brakes anymore, no uh, 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 stopping. He just lets people go on their own. And what happens is this, when we can do whatever we want to, whenever we want to, without any limitations or boundaries, we will self-destruct. And so if you watch the news and you see things and your thought is, man, how does one person do that to another person? How does one person do that to a child? How does one person do that to a spouse? How does a person do that to their, their coworker or friend or boss? How do people do these things to each other? Because at some point they crossed over line. Because their thought was this, I'm gonna do what's good for me. But here's the kicker. Jesus, on the backside of your notes, Jesus says don't live in self-righteousness, don't live in unrighteousness. When we combine truth with love, truth with love, we find not self-righteousness, not unrighteousness, we find self-sacrifice. It's self-sacrifice. You have legalism, you have relativism, and now this is what we've called altruism. You do for the benefit and welfare of others. It's not what's best for me, but it's what's best for. I couldn't wait to get married. Man, I was so excited. I got married and found, what? found out, you know what? I'm super selfish. And every day I wake up and think, man, it's all about me. And my marriage was horrible. Didn't work. And then I realized at some point in time, I realized if I'm going to make this thing work, I'm going to have to start setting aside what I want and sacrifice, in, even in little ways, to make this work. So if I want to keep living with this woman and keep having this relationship, I've got to make sacrifices. And the sacrifices, they're just little things, little compromises where I say, you know what, I'm not going to be stupid about this. I'm, you know what, this is where I want to put my underwear. And this is where I want to leave it, you know. <laughs> this is what I want to do in my life. This is my house. And my wife says, well, you know what, and you can live in your house, and you can live with your nasty underwear if you want to, <laughs> you know. Same thing for our kids. I couldn't wait to have kids. They're fantastic. They're wonderful. And then they grew up. And I realized that if I want to keep enjoying my children, I'm going to have to sacrifice. Like trips used to be awesome. We'd start off the day. The only reason why I would stop is because I had to get, get some gas in the gas tank. Now it's, Dad, uh-huh. I got to go potty. Uh-uh. Dad, I'm hungry. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, that's just your imagination at work. Or the classic... Dad, what are we having for dinner? Close your eyes. What do you see? Nothing. Okay, there you go. Exactly. 
And so all of a sudden I realized if I'm going to make life work, I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm going to have to think through what's the benefit of other people. Here's a verse, one of my most favorite, favorite verses in Scripture. This is like, this is like Indiana Jones finding a treasure. Psalm 35, verses 10 and 11. 85, thank you. Psalm 85, David writes these words. Listen to this. Listen to these, these extreme concepts, themes. Mercy and truth. Mercy says this. You're not going to get what you deserve. You broke a rule. You're in trouble, but you're not going to get the... Con- you don't have to pay the consequences for what you've done. Truth, however, is... These are the rules, these are laws, and you broke the rules, you broke the law, and so you're going to have to pay the consequences. But mercy and truth can exist together. Righteousness says this is what's right, and this is what's wrong, and this is how we're going to go ahead and conflict over these issues. And then there's peace, which says we're going to live in harmony with opposing opinions and with differences between us. There's going to be a tension, but we will live at peace Righteousness and peace, and look at these words. David writes, they've kissed each other. There's nothing more close and more vulnerable than a kiss. Now, in the New Testament, some of the writers in the New Testament, they talk about greet each other with a holy kiss. Like, different churches have different cultures, okay? So I'll shake a hand, I'll hug, but like, don't put your breath near me, okay? Love you. And so Peter can do that for his church, and if you go to, had a church you went to and you kiss each other, just... Good for you, just steer clear. All right, we'll we'll fist bump. He says in verse 11, truth. Now catch these words. David, it's almost a prophetic scripture here. David says, truth will spring out of the earth. What did Jesus do after three days of being buried? He rose again. And righteousness will look down from heaven. When God was looking at Jesus on the cross, what did he do? He turned away. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. So God is looking down from heaven, his righteousness. And Jesus has sacrificed himself for us, his love and mercy. And they meet together. In your life and your relationships, in my life and my relationships, there are people that you're going to be dramatically opposed to. And what I would propose to us today is this. Instead of saying, you're wrong and I'm right, based on my life experiences. Instead of saying, hey, you do whatever you want to. You live your life based on your experiences. Let's just like, let it, let it be. Instead of going to those extremes, what if we said, you know what? I want to engage with you. I am confident in who I am. And I'm not going to compromise on my beliefs or standards my convictions, but I will engage with you and I will respect you and I will see value in you. Even to the point that I would sacrifice for you because I see how valuable your life is. Jesus says these words, it's not in your notes. He says, no greater love has anyone than this than that somebody lays down their life for a friend. What is laying down life? That's sacrifice. You want to make your marriage work? Sacrifice. You want to make parenting work? Sacrifice. You want to make work work? Sacrifice. You want to make life work? Sacrifice. The accidental belief is this. Being right is doing right. And we could could say it this way. 
I'm right because I do right by me according to my needs and wants. But Jesus says this, being right is being sacrificial. Being right is being like Jesus. Being right is saying, I will self-sacrifice for the benefit of somebody else so that you can move forward in life, so that we can do life together. I'm not condoning doing wrong, but I want to engage you. I want to hear you out. I want to do life together because Jesus said of himself, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me would be saved. What's amazing about it is this, God is the judge. God has not called us to be judges. God has called us to be messengers of good news. Good news of what? Of sacrifice. The question for us today is this, as we wrap up, what does love require of you? What does love require of your relationships? What does love require of you in your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the time to come before you this morning. Father, I pray. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope it was encouraging and inspiring. If you'd like to know more information about Greater Philly Church, you can go online to greaterphilly.church. You can also find information on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook about the church as well. I'd love to be able to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt, M-A-T-T, Manny, M-A-N-N-E-Y. I've also got a blog with great content that you can find more information about at mattmanny.com. I hope the message today helped you to understand yourself, your relationships, and Jesus better in light of what he's done for you. Thanks so much for listening.